Merrill Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's Merrill Memo. So on this week's show, we'll look into a few things, in particular what's been causing that earthy smell in some of Dubbo's water. We'll also look at uh, a bit of a follow-up discussion on Council's decision around that decision there to uh, to award the green site to the New South Wales Rugby Union Positive Rugby Foundation. We'll also acknowledge a very special call-out to Dubbo's newest centurion. Good morning, Matt. How are you today? Yeah, really good. Thank you, Mark, and thank you for coming along again. It's great to be chatting to you. I know we'll miss each other over the next few weeks. You're ducking off overseas, so we'll... Yeah, going to go over to a little place called London and Paris. I hear that's not a bad little spot to visit. Sounds good. And I, we did talk about using technology we've got access to and continuing on the podcast in that way, but I might have a bit of a special treat for our listeners just to do something a little bit different until you come back. So if they don't hear your voice for the next few weeks, don't worry. Oh, Mark will be back. Absolutely. Look, uh, give us five or six weeks, folks. We'll be back into it. But I do hear there's some very exciting things coming up in the next five or six weeks and some voices that, uh, well, let's just say uh, haven't maybe been heard for a while. So let's try them out and see how they go. Yeah, sounds good. All right, Matty, let's get straight into it. Uh, let's jump straight into this earthy smell. So what's been going on here with uh, the Dubbo water of late? Because, look, uh, I, I must admit, where we are out of Fergrave, I, I couldn't really smell any of the uh, this earthy smell, but I must admit, when I went to work, quite a few people started to complain about a very earthy smell that was coming through from the water. What? So what's actually been happening? They must be super sniffers. Cause super I, sniffers. I was a bit the same as you. I couldn't really I couldn't smell it. No, you couldn't smell it. No, anything <laughs> different. Now, the important part here is that, of course, water that comes out of our water treatment plant is highly monitored. There are yes. a whole range of parameters that needed to be monitored. And we know from earlier this year that we did have a boil water alert, and that was based on the turbidity of the water. Turbidity? Uh, turbidity of the okay, water. Okay, so, so to the layman people like me, what, what does turbidity mean? What's it's that? really a measure of how transparent that water is. So if uh, it gets to a certain yes, level of okay. turbidity, it means there are some things in the water, and what you're really trying to stop is a crypto outbreak. Obviously, yes. a crypto outbreak in the community yes. would mean that we'd have lots of people might be vomiting, might have diarrhoea. Some people that might be frail to begin with might die. So mm. obviously we don't want from yeah, a... That's the last thing coming council. through your water. That's right. We don't want to be spreading out a huge health yes. risk. The interesting part about that was that we haven't had a boil water alert for a long time. Right. But we agreed to a change. There was a change suggested that the turbidity level of 1.0 maybe could be changed to 0.5 as a higher precaution and different water treatment plants across the state, some said, yeah, that's a good idea. Some said, no, we'll stick with one. Hmm. We were one that previously, about a year and a half, two years ago, who said, yes, we'll reduce our trigger to 0.5 before we need to put a boil water alert out to our residents. Hmm. The turbidity got, this is going back several months ago now, the turbidity got to around about 0.6, 0.7. Okay. Bounced there before it got back down below 0.5, but because of the process we put in place, the policy mm. we put in place, we had to go through a process, alert New South Wales Health, after a quick inspection by New South Wales Health on our data, then that's when the boil water alert went out. Mm. It did take some time to have that lifted, that was a bit frustrating, I'm talking about old news now, yep. but that's one of the things that we measure, and funnily enough, we actually said to New South Wales Health, we'll go and test for crypto in our water, because surely mm. if you're trying to stop a crypto outbreak, then testing for crypto would be the obvious thing, but New South Wales Health said no. The agreed policy is turbidity, and we've now got to flush that through the system, which is why we had that boil water alert for so right, long. Right. Now, with this earthy smell that was in the water, getting back to your original yeah, question, sorry. Yes, that's all right. With the earthy smell that was in the water, obviously our staff were looking at all the different parameters they've got to monitor to see whether that water was safe for drinking, to see whether that water was still safe to be consumed yep. by the residents. And all those parameters were being met. So at first, we didn't actually know where that smell was coming from because people had complained about it, they'd run council yeah. and our staff were obviously having a good look at that. As it turns out, we now know what it is right. and I'm not sure if I can even pronounce what it is. Give us your best attempt, as, see how it goes. As far as I know, it's called geosmin. Geosmin. G-E-O-S-M-I-N. Yeah. So it's a natural compound that's found in water sources and that's what's been the result of this earthy smell okay. and earthy taste. Now, Do you know it, where that came from, or is that just a natural thing that just happens from time to time? Or Well, it, it is actually present in the ground, but normally it's present in very small levels. So okay. you've normally got, let's let's go with geosmin, so that yep. I don't keep yep. questioning myself every time yes. I pronounce it. We normally have some geosmin in our water, but at such small levels that mm. we don't actually notice it, we can't smell it, we can't taste it, it's, it's irrelevant that it's there. The I would 
and this isn't, I haven't got all the data to back you up here, but I'm assuming that with our incredibly dry spell and then all this wet weather we've been having, mm. we've probably had more things washed down into our water than normally would have before because there's so much runoff we're getting. All the water around the riverbank, yep. all the farms you see, it just rains and then there's nowhere for that water to be absorbed by the soil, so it just runs off. I'm guessing from that, and it is a guess, that you're just getting a bit more geosmin coming down into the river from that then getting picked up, obviously, by a water treatment plant and then going through. Now, it's not something we try and remove during our water treatment process because it's not something that's mm. a danger to humans. I was going to ask you the question. So it's not dangerous to anybody. So just the smell, apparently, no. is the big thing. The smell and the odour, which does make it unpleasant, but it okay. is purely aesthetic or, if you like, it just doesn't smell that nice. Yep. But there's no problem there in terms of the, the actual safety. All the Australian drinking water guidelines, our water is meeting and still is meeting at the moment. Yep. So basically what we've now started doing is using some activated carbon dosing to increase the ability to remove some of that geosmin. Again, it's not something we normally worry about, mm. but in this case, we don't want the water smelling bad. We don't want it tasting bad for people. Even though it's not a health risk, it's still one of those things that mm. if it doesn't taste that good, then no, you don't people want to start to water. question what's going on. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And so effectively, that's been a process. You probably are at the point when you listen to this podcast mm. that you won't be able to smell or taste anymore, or if you can, probably not much longer from two factors. One, with that increased activated carbon dosing we're doing, yep. but also I'm guessing that the amount of geosma that's being washed down into the river is probably back to, say, normal, very small level. So right. not really that big an issue. But it's great the community's given us that feedback. It's yep. great the community's telling us they've got this unpleasant taste and odour, and then we've obviously had a look at that and taken yeah. some action. But the first thing we did was to check all of the guidelines to make sure we were well within all those guidelines. Well, I think you've answered the question well. Well done, Mr. Scientist. <laughs> Alrighty, so moving along now, the, oh, this is a good one. I, I like this because every year I get excited when I come across this booklet and um, because you pick it up and as a Dubbo resident, I, I love to see what's happening and maybe there's some things there that I'm missing on a, a weekly basis or on a monthly basis uh, from the point of view of some of the great things that are happening here around town, some of the great clubs and groups and all of those type of things because what I'm talking about here is the Dubbo New Resident Guide. Now, I know I'm not a new resident, but I can still get a copy of this and I still see these uh, every year and I, I love seeing it. So during the week, obviously, there has been the release of this uh, fabulous new booklet, uh, the yearly edition of. So, all right, Matt, what's in it this year to expect? And I've got one in my hand. Actually, I've got one here on the table. If you want to just grab one there to have a bit of a flick there while we're sitting here and have a bit of a flick and see if there's anything interesting for you. But what I love about this is there's two things. One is if we have a new resident move to Dubbo, we want to welcome them with open arms. Mm. And I do enjoy doing that. We do things every quarter called new resident nights. And so anyone that's moved to Dubbo in the last quarter, we're not that strict on it, but we say if you've moved here in the last quarter, come along to a new resident night mm. and just get to know some other new residents, get to talk to some clubs, some sporting clubs, some service clubs, because they set up stalls around there. Yeah. And we do a bit of, uh, have a few fun games with them, ask them a few quiz questions about Dubbo, just a whole range of things. Really? And what, we get into the feedback from that is that it's a really positive experience. They love how welcome they are. They feel very welcome to come along. The mayor gets there. I do run a few quizzes with them, all those mm. sort of things. Most of the time where they've come from places, especially if they've come from a big city, they've never met a councillor or the mayor mm. or the CEO of a council. So they feel like they're very special. And so yeah. that's a really nice feeling. But the other thing is that you can almost guarantee they're talking to their friends back home going, wow, mm. this experience has been fantastic. I really love it here. I'm never going to leave here. We want to hold on to these people. So that's really important. Absolutely. But if I move to a new area, this sort of guide, and you're flicking through it there now, yeah. this sort of guide, the first thing I'd do is I'd probably say, okay, I need a school to get my kids into. So, oh, this guide's got a list of some of the schools or all the schools that are here available in Dubbo. Yes, then I might say, that. I want to get my kids playing some sport. My kids are, have left home now, but if I was a few years ago, I would have been looking for where they might go and play their normal sports and those clubs that I'd have to get them to join. And if myself personally, I like racing mountain bikes, I'd be looking for a mountain bike club. So there's a list of sporting groups here. There's over 100 at a bit of a glance. I don't know the exact number. Over 100 different sporting clubs there. So you're going to be able to find something that interests you. And again, that's a great way to meet new people when you yep. come to a new community, go and play a bit of sport. Immediately, you've got a few different people you know. Maybe after the game, you sit around and have a coffee together, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing I'd do is I'd look for some some sort of service clubs. I, I'm in yes. Rotary, so I'd probably be looking for Rotary, but those sort of similar sporting clubs. And so, yeah. again, you've got these clubs in here. But there's all sorts of things, where you go shopping, how you might keep healthy, where you go to, to learn, just information about the community in general. Well, so you can see it with it too. And it, it's actually, it's really well set out. It I is. like that. Yeah. And it's, uh, 
It's very functional. It uh, really comes through in exactly what you sort of say in the sense that as a new, uh, new resident or even as an older resident, sometimes we, uh, we just want to have a point where we can go to. It's a point of connection to find out what the, uh, who do I talk to, what are the options available, what's a phone number. It's all here. It is exactly right. And it's got basic information about the overall region as well, just things like mm-hmm. unemployment rate, median house price, those sorts of things. So then the second way we use this booklet is we do get inquiries at Dubbo for people who want to move here. Yep. Now, sometimes they're not very aware of a regional area. They're not very aware of Dubbo. Sometimes there might be people here on visas that are in metropolitan areas and they've been told they need to look regional to continue on with their visa process. So they don't really know what they're looking for or what they're mm. looking at. They don't have a lot of experience sometimes, even people in Sydney. Yep. And I use this in the nicest possible way, but even sometimes people in Sydney are a bit ignorant about what we've got out here. Yes. They think we've got tumbleweeds down the main dirt street and you and I stand back at well, 20 metres. those kangaroos bouncing out of the main street, yeah. they're still a hassle for right. me, I must admit. And, and we've got our six shooters to, to spin around and steal our arguments in that way. <laughs> so there are some misconceptions, obviously, about what people do out in regional areas. Yes. But you pick up the booklet and you start looking at things like the unemployment rate and, as I said, the median house price and then the things like the swimming pools and the arts mm. and culture groups and the sports grounds and the places of worship. Mm. And mm. people suddenly go, well, this isn't a little country bumpkin town. This no. is a regional thriving metropolis. Yeah. Gee, should I be a part of that? So when people ring to inquire about Dubbo, we say, look, apart from all the other information you might have specifically about a job or about where to live or how you get a rental, we'll send you this booklet out as well hmm. to give you a bit of background, a bit of overall information. And our data, if I go back to the Evo Cities days, we did a huge amount of research with various things that happened with Evo Cities. Hmm. And our data used to say that it took someone approximately 12 months from the time that they finally had a light bulb moment where they said, you know what, I'm sick of Sydney, and, and this is specifically Sydney. Yeah. I'm sick of Sydney. I'm sick of one hour commute. I'm sick of paying a million dollars for a little box three hours from where I work. I'm going to move. Mm. And from that point when they actually made their mind up to when they actually moved in, they got the removalist taking their bed to some other location, was about a year. Is that right? And in that year, they would go through and they'd look for, where do I get a job? Yep. What house do I get? How do I get a house? Where are my kids going to go to school? All those basic things that you're trying to answer. So when they contact Dubbo, as opposed to when they contact other cities, Mm. suddenly they get this new resident guide booklet sent out. It's got all this information. It makes it easy for them. So when they're contemplating where to go, we want them to be contemplating Dubbo at the top of the list. Now, our research also showed that 94% of the time, people didn't move until they got a job. Mm. So sometimes they might be looking at Similar cities, obviously Dubbo would be the best of those, but they might look at an Orange of Bathurst, a Tamworth, a Wagga, an Auburn, Armidale, those sort of cities that might be similar to Dubbo. Mm. And then if they happen to get a job in one of those, that would normally be the trigger. Okay, I've decided to move to Tamworth because I've got a job there. And I get that, I understand that. But we want them to be thinking about Dubbo as the number one spot and all the things that are in place for them to be as welcome as possible. So what a great I think way to put it all together, too, into a booklet form for them like that. And it's, it's well presented as well. So whoever put it together, so, you know, uh, to those guys at Council who put this together, congratulations on a, a fabulous booklet this year. It and, does look wonderful, too. And you're right. They have done an excellent job. And there's advertisers in there as well. So mm. obviously we need to pay for this. Yep. So we've got some part of our budget of Council to pay for this, but we've got advertisers in there as well. So oh, yeah. it's paid for, their, for them by or at least by the advertisers, but our staff have to put all that together. Hmm. So you're right, they have done a fantastic job in putting all that together. And again, just read some little stories in there, and that's a bit of that trigger as well. Some stories about people that have moved and the fantastic Mm. experience they've had Mm. and the sort of stories you hear about people that have moved here for a six-month contract and 20 years later they're still here those sort of stories are fantastic so yeah it's a good good guide and they can pick it up from Dubbo City Council they can pick it up from the visitor center from council you could ring council and say please send me some out we've got cartons of them there so that if you're an organization that needs to hand them out so a motel for example just contact us and we've got boxes of them literally that we'll get delivered out to your motel so again we want to get them into people's hands and get them out to people's hands across the, the wider state. Go out there and grab a copy. Now, Matt, we talked uh, last week in regards to this. Uh, it's called the Greens. This is the uh, the decision that Council made there in regards to the, the site, which was the old um, City Bowling Club site. Um, now, just a bit of follow-up discussion on that, uh, if you don't mind, because I'm I feeling there, there's been, throughout the course of the week, there's there's been a little bit of negative feedback, I suggest, by some of the losing bidders in regards to this, in regards to the, uh, maybe the process was too quick or they're probably asking the question as to, you know, why didn't we give this to a, a, a localised base group? So just in regards to that, just to, to go through it again, the actual process 
that council took in regards to uh, deciding who was going to go into this. Can you just take us back again to that? Because just to clear any doubts in regards to it, what's the process, first of all, the first and foremost, uh, any of these groups would have been able to put their uh, expression of interest in. Now, there was a time frame, obviously, in regards to that. From the decision, from that very last uh, expression of interest cutoff date to when the decision was made, what was our time frame in regards to that? And what actually happened? What were they looking at again in regards to making that final decision? Sure. And I'll go back a step. There wasn't a necessity to take this to council. Okay. But councillors felt like it was a more open, transparent process to go through an EOI process and then take it to council. As an example, we talked about it last week that this was acquired back in May 2021. It was a poor decision of council, in my opinion. There was no strategy. There was no business case. I don't want to bang mm, on about that mm, too much. Sure. But May 2021, they've acquired it. And it's not fully acquired. It's still a process where the RSL Club still owns it for the moment, but there's a contract to acquire it, and then we have control of it. Mm. As an example, last year, towards the end of last year, there was a local government election, a council election, and that site just happened to suit the Electoral Commission, so council did actually lease it to the Electoral Commission. That didn't go through council, there was no EI process, it was just leased to the Electoral Commission, and mm. the CEO, as well within his rights, has the power to go and make that decision. We fast forward to now, and it's costing, the, the cost to actually keep that place in its basic state, just to keep it operational, basic maintenance on it is around 80000 to $90,000 a year. And mm. that's coming out of the Western Plains Cultural Centre budget. And as I said, there's no strategy, no business case, so we've got to develop that process. Yep. The Electoral Commission again approached council and said, we've got a state election, so we'd like to lease that same premises from the 1st of January next year. We'd also been approached by several other organisations to say, what are you doing with that? Do you want to lease it? We'd like to take control of that. Mm. We've got all sorts of uses for it. And there were a variety of different things people were proposing for it. Yeah. With all that in mind, again, it could have been quite reasonable for the CEO to simply lease that to the Electoral Commission as had been done before. But it was felt by councillors that it would be preferable to go through some sort of EOI process because maybe there was another organisation out there that would be better to lease it to. And we joked about it many times, mm. two years. It was a maximum yep. of two years. We could have leased it to the Electoral Commission and they need it until about May next year. Right. So after that time, about a year and a half before we then had already gone through the process, worked mm. out our strategy, worked out our business case, put all that together and then we're going to use it for some long-term usage. I suppose just stopping there for a second, uh, if you think about that, that's then actually cutting down the, the term of the lease to 18 months, which I suppose in many ways makes it then less attractive for someone to have to go in, set up all their enterprise into it. So I can understand there would have been a bit of an urgency of the time frame. Yeah. Is, is, is that a fair call to that, say that, that? That's exactly right. But at the same time, the Electoral Commission was offering a certain dollar amount. I won't mm. divulge that dollar amount, but they were offering a dollar amount. And so it may have been that that was the best offer we were going to get. And so take the money from the Electoral Commission and then keep looking for ad hoc hires. And that's mm. what have been done in the past. We weren't getting a great return on those ad hoc hires. So we weren't getting on our eighty to $90,000 maintenance bill and ongoing cost of keeping that. We weren't getting much back. So that was really draining the budget of the Western Plains Cultural Centre. Mm. Now, the director that's responsible for this only started in her job in June. Right. And you can imagine, you start as a new director, it's a, an important position, you're responsible for a lot of things, and you get given a lot of these things right. You've got to catch up with this and run with this and get this going and fix up that. This was one of the many things that mm. she was given at the time, and Regan Park was another one that is under her portfolio. Yeah. That's so Regan, a couple of nice little ones there to work That's out. right, Regan Park <laughs> and the master plan for Welcome the South the Precinct and North Precinct were some of the things that were taking up a lot of her time mm. at the beginning part of that process. But this was one of those important ones. We said we need to get this happening. Now, obviously, back in June, there wasn't an offer from the Electoral Commission for next year. But when that offer came along, and again, other proponents as well were discussing different items there, yeah. we said, well we need to make a decision on this pretty quickly. We need to go out to an EI, and if the EIs come in and they're not that attractive from a dollar perspective, let's take the money from the Electoral Commission and then in six months' time, we'll have some other mm. use for it, we'll work mm. at something else, but at least we've got some yeah. return over that period of time. Yeah. We didn't know for sure what we'd get out of the EI process, but we thought there'd be some organisations out there that were interested in it. Mm. And so this was all done in a fairly compressed time frame. but again... The alternative was we just leased it to the Electoral Commission. So yeah. I think, and councillors obviously thought this as well, it wasn't just my decision, it was a council decision, to say, let's go out, AI, let's make it a short AI, and then we'll come back to the December council meeting and make a decision then so that we've got time for the Electoral Commission to yep. move in there or for one of the other successful bidders to be able to move in there. Mm. And again, with any tender, with any AI quotation process, 
the information that comes through is all confidential, yep. and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that because it would give a conf- uh, the it could give a competitive advantage to another organisation mm. if we divulge all the prices that were put out for all mm. these tenders every single time. But in this case, I can say who actually put a bid in. That's a public bit of information. So I, I did talk about last week, but the New South Wales AECG Aboriginal Language and Culture Nest put in a bid. Around a Toy Library Limited put in a bid. Dabo Slim Sim Sash St John Rugby League Football Club put in a bid. Dabo Filmmakers Inc put in a bid. New South Wales Rugby Union slash New South Wales Positive Rugby Foundation put in a bid. And Mackie Entertainment Group put in mm. a bid. So six bids came in, which yep. I was pretty impressed with. Yep. In the process there, I wasn't sure how many people had talked about it. And I know there was one school who had actually spoken to me about it before, and they didn't put in a bid. And I ran into one person from there the other day, and I said, you didn't put in a bid. No, we had a bit more of a look at it. Mm. wasn't really suitable for us. And the two years that was a maximum, we didn't think that was appropriate for us. Yeah. So that's fine. So the other people who were thinking about it, talking about it, but when it came down to now's time to put your bid in, some decided it wasn't appropriate, and that's fine. Out of those six, we then had to consider that confidentially, yep. went through that process, the waiting was... Yeah, can I say, just in regards to that, before sure. you get to the waiting, which is a very important part of it, you had three or four there were, were local organisations. Now, I think some of the, maybe some of the criticism has probably been levelled at the fact that why didn't we support the, the local boost, the, the local groups in regards to this? Now, this is probably where you're going to move into, though, in regards to what was the criteria, which is always the important part. Correct. And what we did, we said to organisations, it was a two-page bid that you could put in, online bid that you could put in, it was a brief submission, and we did say that because, again, it was only for two years. So we didn't want someone to go and spend a huge amount of time for something that in two years' time we were going to say to them, sorry, that's finished. Now we've got our long-term usage, which we're going to now need the building back. And we didn't want to basically have someone mm. spend huge amounts of time, bring consultants in, all the rest of it, to put this wonderful bid mm. in to then, in two years' time, to be told, that's it. Strip out. Yeah. And, and again, as with any bid or tender, there's always a the risk that you put it in, you don't get it. That's always mm. part of the process. Yep. Same with, with any process where you're putting a quote in for a, a job like this. So you're right, there were some local ones, there were some larger ones, but in terms of the process, we said the criteria would be 65% of the decision would be based on the price that someone's offering, yep. 35% would be based on the community use. So not so much mm. where the organisation was from, yep. but what benefit it might have to the community. Yep. So we based it on those two the bids came in, our staff went through a process to actually sort the information in. So the, the EIs closed on the Wednesday at 5pm. The staff had the time then to go through and they had a three-person panel that looked at that. And I won't say the names of the people on that panel, but there were three staff members yep. who were on that panel. And they basically just had to assess it to make sure they looked like they were valid, reasonable bids, and then basically give a score for the weighting of price and the weighting of community interest. Yep. But then all the bids, the complete bids, were all given to councillors. So councillors considered that at the meeting the next night. So it was okay. basically a bit over 24 hours from the time bids closed to the time we're sitting in the council meeting going through so, that decision-making process. Okay, so there was a 24-hour time frame from the last, from when the biddings, were well, from the expression of interest closed, there was 24 hours. And in that 24-hour time period, uh, the three members of council who were making the decision or making the recommendation. Yeah, so very important there. The recommendation was the word, they, the postal decision. They, that's right. The, uh, the staff members don't make a decision on this. This excellent. came to council. So councillors are 100% responsible for that decision. Yes, right. Yeah. Very good. So so these three people made their recommendation. They have their, their system set down. So 65% you're saying is based on financial. Is yeah. there any reason why they made that 65% as being such a, a higher figure than, than what the actual need focus would be? It was really based on the fact that we needed to stop this bleeding. Okay. The eighty dollars to $90,000 I mentioned before, we needed to stop that bleed from the Western Plains Cultural Centre budget. So that was the, the main reason we wanted to do something with this. Yep. And yes, it's great if we can do things for the community, but this council, this group of councillors, after the last three years of the last council had an operating deficit of $20.3 million, mm-hmm. when we've talked about the CEO's KPIs, for example, when we've discussed in council some of our objectives, it's been made very clear to the CEO that this group of councillors wants to make sure we're on solid financial footing. Mm. You can do wonderful things for the community, mm. Mm. but if you're going broke while you're doing it, yeah. then it's not that great. And, and this I, would probably fall in line with a bit of the master plan. We took this word master plan a few times in the last few podcasts. 
Now, Council's employed a new business manager guy who I can't think of his actual title specifically. We talked about him a few weeks ago. And a lot of his focus is about making sure that the operations are more financially viable, I think was the way we looked at that. Does this fall under those guys as well as part of that plan? Not specifically because that particular staff member is focused on some of our business units. He'll go and look at each business unit and say, how can we make this more efficient? How can we drive more dollars out of this or stop losing so much money? They're talking about Things like we talked about before, the airport, for example, right. the sale yards, our childcare, our various business units. Yep. This one, obviously, across all of council, we want to make sure that we're doing that as much as possible because we don't want to keep bleeding out money. No. But this one, at this stage, hasn't come under that because it, it isn't really an operation. But when it gets to the stage, if we do run it as a excuse me, as a business unit, yes. then that yes. might be something that we actually do go forward that way. Okay. But but this one was really focused on that. So that was why the 6535, yep. now that was a decision made by the CEO to weight it in that way, 6535. Having said that, remember that all of the information from all these EOIs came to all councillors. Yes. So ultimately, and, I, and I've talked about it before, I've heard other councillors or previous councils or even other councils around the state who talk about, oh, the staff told us to do that. No, mm. The way it works is we don't want the tail wagging the dog. Mm. And and I make no apologies to our staff for this. The councillors are the ones who make the decisions. Now, we do get information and recommendations and expert advice from our staff. So we want great staff there with great ideas and great expertise. But when it's all shaken out, the decision makers are the 10 councillors. Not me. I'm Mm. not the decision maker. Mm. I am one of the 10. I can put my hand up. Just the same, and my vote yep, counts for one. the same as everybody else's. Exactly Absolutely. right. So it's a, these decisions are decisions of council. Now, okay. as the mayor, I end up becoming the spokesperson of those decisions. Yep. So I'm sitting here talking to you as a spokesperson for council, mm-hmm. but I don't make the decision. Council but, makes the decision. Are you allowed to talk about the fact that with the decision on this, was it a unanimous vote then to go this way? Or? Yeah, and the votes are recorded. So those are things that are in the public domain. So right. yes. We, we went, so the way this worked, we basically had all those submissions. We had the information from the staff. It, it's not that complicated a process in terms of the information we had there. There wasn't that much information in there because we really were looking at six EOIs. They were typically two pages. Mm-hmm. Some of them submitted more than that, some more background information. Yep. And that was fantastic. But there were two pages that had the important information that we had when they filled in their online yep, web submission. That's the real part. That's going to be the ticker box part, isn't it, really? Well, I wouldn't say ticker box. That's the crucial information. Mm. All the other stuff helped with our decision-making, but that was the crucial part okay. of the decision-making process. So once this came, we then moved into a confidential session because we were dealing with individual bids and individual tenders. And just to keep in mind, we had a number of other tenders that we were dealing with in the same confidential session Mm. and a few things we dealt with but just in terms of expenditure we had six other tenders that we awarded in our confidential session that was the equivalent of about seven plus million dollars okay so a significant amount of uh, decisions were being made over a significant amount of money that's right so we're not talking about chicken feed there and those were things about who might be building a new building or what particular vehicles we might be purchasing for our garbage trucks so various decisions like that but so six tenders over $7 million, Mm. in the whole scheme of things, this tender was not an overly complicated process, it wasn't overly complex, and the information wasn't that complex in what we had to decide. So councils went into that closed session, all the information was there, we discussed that around, back and forth, talked about the community benefits, talked about the dollar figures, and then it came down to a decision, and after all of that, Again, councillors put their hand up, yes or no, for decisions. In this case, they all put their hands up, yes. And as we talked about last week, it was the New South Wales Rugby Union slash New South Wales Positive Rugby Foundation. And their tender, which again, I can talk about the winning tender dollar figure, was approximately 74460 And I say approximately Mm. because that covers some of the maintenance costs of that. So they're taking over. Which would basically cover the costings of what you talked about earlier that needed to be covered. That's right. That eighty dollars to $90,000 included council doing mm. some of that maintenance work and some other fees we had to pay. Okay. So that will cover that, but they'll be doing some of that maintenance as well. So in essence, and again, it's approximately in essence, we'll come out marginally in front because we'll get the $74,000 and then we'll also save some of our costs on some of the maintenance. So yeah. approximately we'll come out a little bit in front of that whole process. One of the frustrating parts is we've still got to pay rates on that. So at least that comes back to us. That's right. But we've got to pay RSL Club, who still technically own it, the money for the rates they have to then pay back to council. Okay. But we've also got to pay land tax to the RSL Club because they've got to pay land tax. Again, oh, right. yeah. this is this terrible deal that council did last year. We'll but have to I don't save wanna, that one for another day. That's right. Yes. I don't want to keep banging on about it all. But that's the, the place yeah. we're in. So that was a decision. Now, I can't talk about 
the losing bids and how much they were. But if someone was from one of those losing bids, and it's disappointing to lose a bid, I understand that. Yep. And I understand that there were some great proposals. It would have been great to award all six. Mm. Having said that, those losing bids know how much they bid. I can't mention those amounts. No. But I can say that councillors found it a fairly – well, it was a, there was a bit of discussion and debate around it all. But in the end, there was a, a fairly obvious – path for us to make sure we did the best financially. Now, if I was talking to you now, and let's say, for example, I'm not going to say any amounts for any other bids, but if I said to you, oh, we gave it to an organisation and they were offering us $5,000 or $10,000 or some much Mm. smaller amount, and there was an organisation out there that knew that they put in a bid for $74,460. they would be rightfully disappointed, I'd suggest. They'd be probably saying, well, why is council wasting Mm. the community's money? They had an opportunity for 74460 and they took a much smaller bid, why would council have done that? What well, are you doing? Well, particularly when your criteria is 65% financial. Correct. That's exactly right. And mm. there's a good argument there that New South Wales Rugby Union, New South Wales Positive Rugby Foundation is a good community organisation yeah. as well, good outcomes for the community. Yeah. Now, keep in mind that this doesn't stop the process going forward for what this might be used for in the future. So when mm. we do our master mm. planning process, this doesn't stop any of that. That can be used for arts or culture or sport or tiddlywinks. Yep. depends what our long-term plan is. This is deliberately a short-term two-year usage of that. Yep. Now, the Electrical Commission, so we've told them that they've missed out on that because obviously financially this one's stacked up better, but mm. we'll try and work with the Electrical Commission to find them another building in Dubbo. If we've got another vacant building that council owns, we'll give them that, or there might be some mm. private enterprise out there. The other quick thing I'd like to mention is the use of a mayoral minute. Now, Merrill Minutes... Yeah, I was going to say, what's, what's a Merrill Minute? So a Merrill Minute is a specific tool that a mayor of a council can use to bring an item forward. And there's a couple of rules around Merrill Minutes. Firstly, it's considered, or Merrill Minutes are considered before any other items on the agenda. Just right. a minor technicality. Yep. But the big advantage with a Merrill Minute is that you can bring things forward that do have some urgency about them without having them gone through the normal process of being displayed in the council papers. Okay. And in this scenario, because the tenders closed the night before the council meeting or the day before, then it seemed appropriate to bring this forward through a mayoral minute. Now, some people have said... Because the next meeting would have been a month after that, wouldn't it? Well, February, actually. February. So I can understand the urgency then. That's that's part of it, but there are a couple of things with that. One of the things is that by using a mayoral minute, yes, that means we can bring it forward and still be discussed. It's still a normal debate. The normal things we do, there's still councillors voting on it. The only thing that's different with the mayoral minute is that it doesn't need a seconder, Again, a minor technicality, mm-hmm. but also, more importantly, it can be brought forward, as I said, without that normal mm. display. And in this scenario, I did use that, and some people have said, oh, I've abused my power by using a mayoral minute. Yeah. There and you I go, am, you, you oh, dictator, you. That's right. That's <laughs> you get, well, you've read the comments, obviously. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but one of the things that I'm very conscious of is I try not to use mayoral minutes, and I've had a history of not using mayoral minutes, except when they're needed. And I actually had a quick look at mayoral minutes that I've used this year compared to, say, the last couple of years. Mm. Mm. And to give you an example, this year, this calendar year, I've used a mayoral minute four times. Four so times, there have been okay. four examples where yep. I've thought it's appropriate to use a mayoral minute. Yep. And again, if my councillors think it's a stupid idea or it's the worst thing ever, they can still vote against it. I can move a mayoral mm. minute and mm. the vote can be 9-1 against. Just because you raise it doesn't mean that you, it's, you're you going to have to get it forth, exactly you know, right. through in that sort of way. The, yeah. the only advantage is that it can be brought forward with less notice than normal. And we told councillors that this was coming, but we had to wait till the EIs were yeah. finished before we could actually give them all the information. So that was the first thing. So I've used four this year. As an example, mm-hmm. last calendar year, from January to December 2021, there were 45 mayoral minutes 45. used. 45? And the previous year, 2020, there were 26 okay. mayoral minutes used. So I, I don't... Stacks up pretty well from that point of view, I think. That's right. Four. If you look at the, the raw stats. So I don't mm. feel like I'm abusing my power mm. in relation to that. But there was urgency because, as we said, the Electoral Commission wanted to go yeah. forward on the 1st of January. And these bids in general, when I look through the bids, we said we want someone to move in quickly or, or short time frame. When can you move in or when can you start or when is your commencement date? Mm. And the various bids that were put in, we're talking about 1st of January, early January, one said 30th of January, one said first quarter. Yeah. So people were aware that we needed someone in there fairly Pretty soon because we yeah. wanted to start collecting some rent on it. We didn't yeah. want to leave it no. idle there for any longer than necessary. So I feel comfortable with that. Again, that Merrill Minute process, if you like, is something that you use when it's appropriate. And in this case, I thought it was appropriate to use that mm. because of that compressed time frame. Yeah. We could have just gone ahead with the Electoral Commission. We could have just said, let's try and plan an extraordinary meeting. But the tenders had closed. So 
even if we put it forward to February, mm. even if we said we'll just take the next commission and someone will have to start in May next year, as you said, it might not be as attractive to someone, mm. the data wasn't going to change. No. The bids no. were not going to change. If we no. considered those numbers for a, a minute, a day, a week, a year, it didn't matter. The dollar figures that were submitted and the community mm. benefit that was submitted in that yep. EOI process, they weren't going to change. So it didn't really matter that it was a mere minute brought 24 hours after the EOI was closed or yep. if we put it forward a week or two weeks later. And I did actually say to some people that if if it's a terrible decision, yep. there is a process we can go through called a rescission motion. Yep. All you need for a rescission motion is for three councillors to sign a notice of motion of rescission and lodge that with council, with the CEO, to say – the three of us councillors, councillors A, B and C, wish to lodge this notice of motion of rescission. We think this is a terrible decision. Let's go and reconsider that to then we call an extraordinary meeting we go through and consider it all again. Yep. So I've said that to a few people who think that it was a bad decision. They say there is a process there. Yes. You just need to go and talk to councillors, find three of them that think it was a bad decision and they're more within their rights. They've got total rights to bring forward a rescission motion and you do that before any action has taken place. So before a lease has been signed or before right. people move in, that sort of thing. But I haven't had three councillors who okay. have come forward. So no one's really come forward on that? No, and I think, again, it was a unanimous decision, yep. and I think councillors are going to say, well, if we do that, what's going to change? The yep. bids aren't going to change. You can't go back to those tenderers and say, no. oh, your price was this. If you get it up to this amount, then you've got a better chance. I mean, that's not the way an EOI or a tender or well, a quotation works. The thing about this, of course, is to finish up, is that you've got three people there lined up that they've got the bids they've come in. They've got the express interest to come in on a certain date. They would then be planning to meet, I'm sure, the next morning to, to go through, if not that night of when the, the expressive interests arrived. They would all have looked through them. There's a criteria there that they would have been marking off to, you know, to, to differentiate between the expressions of interest. At the end of that time frame, I'm sure they've all had their discussions. I don't know how long you need to discuss on these things. It, you know, it may have taken them half an hour, it may have taken them 24 hours, who knows. But the reality is there's a time frame that they've worked that worked for them. They've then passed on their decision to council. Council's had the discussion. That's it. You know, decisions made. Like and if any councillors weren't comfortable with that, they've got the option to defer. And we've had that happen before. Yes. There's been uh, at least one example that comes straight to mind where there was a DA that was lodged with council and councillors felt like they didn't have enough information yep. and didn't have enough time. And so one of the councillors asked to defer that meeting. And we yep. did defer that decision to a subsequent meeting of council. Mm. So councillors had that option to defer that decision. But again, no one from the floor yeah. suggested that. And I'm not the blame at council. I'm just saying there are many opportunities. Yep. If this was a terrible thing and I'm a really bad dictator and I'm ruling the world with my iron fist, there are many opportunities for councillors to go through a process to mm. have a different outcome. But councillors seem very comfortable with this and I've talked to them again since this decision and no councillor has said, gee, it was a terrible decision, worst thing we've ever done, we better fix it. Mm. Councillors have said, what's going to change? We know the dollar amounts, we know what it's going to be used it's for. All there. It's all black and white, literally. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, it's always a good part of the show when we do the call-outs to special members of our community. And uh, and today we're giving a special call-out to Daphne McLeod. Now, Daphne is our latest centurion. And so, look, I'll be the first one to jump in here. Matt, I don't know you want to say happy birthday. I'm going to say happy birthday first in this one. So happy birthday, Daphne. 100. Well, I what? beat you to it. Oh, did you? I went and visited Daphne. Of course you did. That's right. <laughs> Here's me thinking I've got one up over here, but no. No, no, you, you've got me again. I, I love it when I get some of these. So normally when someone's in an aged care facility is normally where they seem to be for yes. some strange reason. Yes. But I normally get an invitation from an aged care facility to say that someone's turning 100. And I haven't cool, had one for a few months, actually. That's actually excellent. So you've had a few in the last little bit? Or? No, I haven't. I haven't had any for a well, months actually, and, right, and Daphne, right. I got one for Friday last week, yes. and so Daphne was there, she's over at the Dubbo Masonic Village, and so the staff there asked me to come along and wish her happy birthday, okay. and I gave her a card, of course, happy yes. birthday, happy 100th. Did it match up with the card from now the king? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe she got in early enough and got one that's from the queen, right, yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, so I, I gave her the card, and of course when I go to HGF facilities, they like me to do a bit of poetry, so I did a bit of Christmas poetry oh, for them, nice, but nice. no, Daphne loved it, and I think it's just one of those nice things, mm. you get to do really tough things as a councillor as a mayor, you get to sometimes be involved in really tough decisions that mm. you, you're racking your brains for the right outcome and trying to get great community outcomes. Yep. But little ones like this, they're just nice little fun things oh, that you get to do. Absolutely. Wish someone a happy birthday, 100th birthday, pretty yeah. significant. And mm. Daphne still seemed pretty bright and chirpy. She seems pretty good, old. does she? Like, yeah, she did yeah, seem pretty good. Yeah, good spirits and healthy and all that sort of stuff. Well, I, I, I can't comment on her health. I sure. wasn't there to inspect her health, but she still, she still seemed <laughs> so like... So you're not a doctor as well? No, yeah, not they, at they, all. That sort no, of claim. Yeah. But she still seemed <laughs> like she was with it and seemed very happy to see me good there. Right so. Happy birthday, Daphne. Well done. 
Uh, now, Matt, look, uh, let us in a little bit of a secret here. It's Christmas party time of the year, and of course, now last week the you held the the councillors' Christmas party. Um, special little time getting uh, the, the new group together, and uh, so what did you get up to? It's been a really good year, and I really have enjoyed the time with the new group of councillors this year. And so I did scare them a bit about a month ago. I secretly so planned skydiving, or well, no? they didn't know, did they? Talking mountain climbing. <laughs> <laughs> I did say to them, I've planned a function. Councillors only, no staff, no one else around, just the councillors, just nice. the ten of us together. And wear active wear is all I told them. And we're active wear. Active wear and we're going okay. to be going you get, how do you go on a pair of lycras? <laughs> well, is that is that what active wear is? <laughs> that's, that's my interpretation. Okay, active wear I was meaning something you would go for a run or a jog or oh, skydiving. Okay, right, yeah, okay. Yes, yeah. yes, my bad. There so and I told them they'd be in pairs and I teamed up the pairs. I actually oh, okay, I did yeah, a complicated yeah. process where I took the Oldest councillor and combine them with the youngest councillor, so oh, and then that. the second oldest, second yes, youngest, etc. Yeah, so yeah. we evened up the teams. Youth and experience, join them together, eh? Exactly right. You've hit the nail on the head and said, just we're active, where we're going to be active for a couple of hours, and I'm not telling you what we're doing until we actually get there. Oh, yeah. And I had a few How who were a bit respond scared. to that. Well, they're a bit scared. There are a few who <laughs> are a bit scared. What are you planning for us, Matt? <laughs> Put me in active, where and I don't know what I'm doing. I'd and, be scared too. And I think your idea of skydiving, some of them thought it might be some mountain biking trail yes, or something yes, like yeah. that. Uh, you know, a few thought we might be mountain. Hiking, uh, hiking up yeah. Kosciuszko. So. Sit on a bull named Fu Manchu or something and away you go. <laughs> All those things came to mind. So eventually I gave in and I did tell them that last Thursday we're going to be going down to Sandy Beach and playing disc golf. So ah, very a bit nice. of active yes, wear. Yes, they yes. just needed to be able to handle walking about one and a half kilometres over an hour. And I, I had the a couple of the committee members from WA Disc Golf come along and help us out there just to show us how to yeah, play. Nice, and it's, nice. it's fairly complex. You've got different frisbees, different weight frisbees, yeah. different style. I've never played. It's, it's, no, it was actually good fun. Yeah, I was, was going to imagine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you've got uh, one type of frisbee that you tee off with, then other types of frisbees that you use, just like in real golf. Oh, like a chip and putt sort of thing. Yeah, all you've that. got your driver and your sandwich, yeah. and sort of, <laughs> that that's the size it. of the frisbee. So there's this big backpack that they put on with all these frisbees oh, wow. in there, and they were good enough to let us use there, so I'm not sure if they were cringing when we were watching how bad we were. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good fun, and I think that's part of the whole process mm. is that it's okay for councillors to get on together. Someone said, I didn't know that council, not one of the councillors, I must have been mm-hmm. someone from the mm. public said, I didn't know that councillors were meant to be a big hug in. And it's not necessarily a hug in. A big hug in. But you, yeah. I think you've got more time to listen to someone's point of view if you have some respect and time for them, and you ah. gain that by spending time with them. Absolutely. So well, you're all human beings. It's yeah, all part exactly of the social right. experience. So I'm pretty sure you're entitled to have a Christmas party together. Well, that's right. So we did that, and so we played down at Sandy Beach, where mm. that's where the disc golf course is, of course, that most people would be aware of that. Yes, yes. They see people down there playing disc golf every now and again, and most people just see, what are those guys doing over there? Why are they throwing a frisbee through the trees? Yes. And that was part of the challenge as well, getting around the trees, which was good fun. Yep. And then, of course, oh, So they didn't sort of strap you up to one of the little the holes or something I had to sort of try to pitch you or something. <laughs> no, no, no. It wasn't like a Bucks party or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so, look, I really appreciate the time the WA Disc Golf volunteers gave Wonderful. us or members. I had three of them down there to help us out. And it was very it was very funny. I won't – what stays – what goes on in Vegas stays oh, yes, in yes, Vegas. Absolutely. So I won't yeah, yeah. talk about individuals, but there yep. were some very funny moments there on the night. Uh, and uh, I won't even say who won the event. But we had some prize for them. I actually got some jigsaw puzzles made right. with – uh, our council induction, we had some photos taken when we were all inducted on the 23rd of December 2021. Yeah. So I took those photos and had them made in some jigsaws and yeah. I kind of made the comment to them that this is something for a bit of downtime over Christmas. Yes. You've all worked very hard all year so maybe just sit around with the family and the kitchen table and, and do up a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> I don't know right. how many will do that. I'll find out in a few weeks' time. But <laughs> so I you just completed that was, first prize for the first one. There yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. I thought that might be nice for me to do that. But again, it was a mm. nice event, a nice little function. Um, we did have some alcohol there and I just want to stress here that there is a policy at council that no council or will have mm-hmm. any alcohol bought by council. So it's a policy about, for example, if we go out to dinner after a council meeting, council can't buy any alcohol for us. And I have no problems with that policy at all. Yep. I bought some alcohol for the councillors, so that was me personally. So if people see photos yep. of us there, they might have seen some photos from the event. They might have seen a beer in the hand. Council did not pay for that, so you can Pretty put sure your mind Pretty sure you're not going to go to hell, Matt. It's okay. You know, <laughs> you'd be right. Well, that's fine. So, but again, I think it is good to have that event and yeah. have things like that. We did have a, a dinner 
after the last council meeting. We have dinner after every council meeting. And again, it's a good chance to debrief. Mm. But this mm. was just a nice little opportunity for the 10 of us to talk about nothing in particular. Yep. Not just a council shoot meeting. Shoot the breeze and literally shoot a few frisbee hoops at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So all good fun. And I recommend that. Go and have a talk yeah. to the guys at WDS yeah, Golf. Yeah, looks fantastic. And just have a little bit of a play there. It's actually quite good fun. Opened mm. our eyes, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that, I'm pretty sure that none of us said we'd ever played before. So that, that was became pretty obvious pretty quickly, did it? Well, that was obvious. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. But uh, and actually the teeing off, a few of them were pretty good at the teeing off because yeah, yeah. most of us have thrown a frisbee once yeah. in a two, twice in our life. Yeah. So that was okay, but it was when you're getting a bit closer to the tee and trying to get a bit yeah. accurate. And uh, Anyway, all good fun. Well, I could imagine uh, a certain Matt Wright, having to know how competitive he is on a hockey field, he would have been very competitive down there. Well, I did install him as the hot favourite for the <laughs> event. <laughs> so, again, I won't say who won anything. I won't make any comment uh, further, but, uh, yeah, all good fun. Well, Merry Christmas to all there. Uh, look, uh, yeah, we talk about Christmas parties. That's always a big thing this time of the year. But you know what? Also, a very big thing are those end of year assemblies for the kids. Now, I think it's actually lovely, Matt. You actually get out to a few of these. Mm. You get to Mags. You get to the primary schools around the place, the public schools. You get to the Catholic schools. That you do get out and about. I, I see this is a really important thing that you do because it's a chance for you to get out to be seen in the community and for people to get a chance to come up and see you, the kids to see you. It's good. So, so talk me through it. What do you generally do during these uh, moments when you get out? Well, it's actually something that I do sometimes question whether it's the best use of the mayor's time. And I say that with the greatest respect to the schools and the students. But this week, for example, I've been to Mags, I've been to Dubbo College Delroy, mm. I've been to Dubbo College South. And so that's just this week. So what are you worried about? What's, what's, what are your fears? Well, there's a lot for councillors, a lot for the mayor to do in this community. Most people want me to be out there filling potholes. That's the most important <laughs> thing that they want me to do. And I get invited along to these, and I've been to them before. Last mm. time I was mayor, I used to go along to these. And it was funny, what made me think about it, I was sitting beside a teacher at one of these events. Obviously, I'm sitting up there with the mm. teachers, and I was sitting beside a teacher, and she turned to me and said, so is this your last one for this season? And <laughs> she'd obviously seen nice that. Nice way of wording it, actually. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's <laughs> and she'd seen that I'd been to a, a few of them uh, through the, the last few weeks. Mm. And I sat back and thought, oh, I think so. I, I think this is just about the last one. I'm just about done with them all. Mm. And, and yeah, you know, we had a quick conversation about that. And so for two hours, they normally go for, I'm sitting there and I watch a range of children winning awards. I don't know the children, don't know much about them, yeah. don't know much about the subjects or the teachers that are there. Yes, I do present a few of the awards. Once mm. I'm there, they ask me to come along and present Sounds a few like the awards. Sounds like Sam Cook song, actually. Don't know much about history. <laughs> don't know much about geography. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I do know I love you. You get up and sing that to them, do you? And, and I, I don't, but I, I talked to one of the parents after one of the events, and I, I kind of made that offhand comment that said, one of the yeah, teachers yeah. said, this is your last one for the season. And he said, oh, he said, no, I think it's incredibly important that you're here. He said, just the fact that you care enough to come along and you do sit there for two hours and mm. the parents are all very excited to see their child up on stage and win an award. I haven't got that sort of thrill, if you like. Mm. And you're trying to pick up as much as you can about the school and just hearing the principal's address and just hearing from a guest speaker mm. they sometimes have. So you're trying to learn as much as you can. It's not a waste of time. Yeah. But I think this parent really hit it home to me is that you care enough to be there. The kids absolutely love it when you're there. If, if they get to shake your hand yep. when they get a prize off you or just come over afterwards, kids will come over afterwards and have some photos mm. taken with you. Mm. I normally try and get photos taken with the school captains for next year yep. so that it's a bit of that leadership thing. Here's a leader of the community. Here's a leader of this school. Getting photos together, they like that. Yes. But this particular parent said, I think the parents actually think that you – or is definitely aware of the fact that I care enough to come along. Yes. And I think that was a thing that really hit home to me, that I do care enough about them. I do care about what's happening with our schools yeah. and our kids, and I want to know what's going on. So I still think it is good use of my time to sit there for a couple of hours going through this. And the conversations you'll have with the parents afterwards, one of the teachers grabbed me after one of them and said, let me show you this project we've been working on and, and mm. show me this whole project the kids have worked on all year. So mm. I think they just like the idea of that. And I'm happy to go along to these. I'm just always careful of trying to use my time the most efficiently. Mm. And again, mm. am I better off having a meeting with the Premier about getting more money for potholes or sitting in a school assembly hall? Mm. Well, I think I've got to try and do both is the problem there. And you're trying to spread yourself very thin. And it is a full-time job being there. But I actually feel bad when I can't make it to some of them, some of them because I do have double bookings. There are lots of mm. things mm. pulling at your time, especially at this time of year. So I do feel bad that you can't make it to all of them. And when mm. I see a principal that might be attending another school's event, oh, sorry, I couldn't make it to yours this year. And you kind of mentally follow that away 
and make sure I'll make it to that one next year if I can't make it to this one. Yep. But I do enjoy them. They are quite good and there's some great talent out there and oh, that's why I enjoy absolutely. hearing about some of those projects, talking to some of the kids afterwards and just really trying to absorb yourself in there for at least a couple of hours. So well, it's a I part of being mayor, I suppose, and that's part of the whole process. Let me tell you a quick little story. I remember as a, as a young bloke, um, in uh, it must have been the early years of high school, and Mayor Tom Slattery at the time was the mayor at the time, and he came along to a function. And at the time, uh, I must have been on the school council. I remember sitting on stage there with him, thinking, "How important is this? This must be a really special ceremony if the mayor's here." Yeah, right. You know, it just sort of adds to the status. And as you know, I'm in education still. And whenever the mayor comes along or if someone of note comes into the place, there's the, the whole atmosphere lifts from the point of view of the air of importance. Yeah. Now, I think you're selling yourself a bit short here, buddy, <laughs> if you think the fact you don't have a level of importance in the place. Because when you do come into these sort of places, it does. It lifts the air of importance amongst the, the nature of the school and the importance of the ceremony as well. Yeah. Oh, so well, it's a that's great good. thing you do. It really yeah, right is. Right. Okay, well, I appreciate that. Thank there you. There you go. There's a win. <laughs> Now, what's uh, happening in Wellington? Uh, there's uh, We haven't spoken about Wellington in the last couple of uh, podcasts. I think it's only fair we uh, give Wellington a bit of a, a run here today because there's a draft um, tree master plan. Master plan. This this, this is great because this is a new word, new phrasing that seems to be coming around for me. <laughs> I pick up a few master plans that are happening. So this master plan in Wellington regards to uh, the trees, tree development. So are we talking the main street? Are we talking off the, the main street area here? So what's... What's the grand plan for Wellington in regards to this? This is really specifically about street trees. Street trees, okay. And street trees are one of the things that's very important as we go forward, and we always try and increase our tree canopy. And obviously streets take up, if you look at an aerial photo of any town or city, you've got these streets that you can see. Mm. And obviously you're not having trees built down the main street, in the middle of the street, unless it's down... Gibbs Street, which has still got a few trees down the middle of Gibbs oh, Street yes, there. Yes, yes, but yes. normally you don't have trees down the middle of a street. So yes. you get these big chunk of black down the middle of the street. Mm. And so in terms of going forward, as we know, we've got a changing climate mm. and we've got a hotter environment we'll have going forward. So if we can increase that tree canopy, then we've got a better chance of maybe doing some natural cooling and some better natural environmental outcomes for a community. Mm. One of the things that's always a challenge is people want development to occur. They want streets to be made better if you like yes, yes. and they like open spaces sometimes to play their sports on how you do all that and still keep some sort of canopy in place and we rate these things in terms of percentage canopy Dubbo at the moment the last time it was measured was around about 17% canopy uh, across the, the Dubbo area Is there a goal for Dubbo where we should be at or? Well we're talking about that at the moment funny you should mention okay. that we have Another been increasing it for that one there, okay. That's exactly <laughs> right you're, you're loving it I know I'm loving this uh, So we're, we're working towards that but at the moment we're, we're working on increasing it but we'll okay. put a goal in place and work towards that so it's always that balancing act Now at the moment we've got the draft Wellington Street Tree Master Plan and I emphasise that word draft, one of the things that always happens with a master plan is you mm. go through the process, you get some consultation, you get some feedback, you then put out a draft master plan so that you've started to crystallise some of the thoughts of that consultation process. Mm. And then once you've got that draft out there, then people say, oh, well, gee, I love that idea there. Or I don't like that here. And you didn't listen to me about this. Why haven't you done that? Mm. And then you get that further feedback before you finalise that master plan. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting you say that word master plan because that's something that I became familiar with very early in my time on council because we do seem to continue to do these master plans and I mm. fully understand the concept mm. to try and get great long-term outcomes and that's where I think councils can be really effective by getting mm. those great long-term outcomes by that master planning process but mm. it's interesting I've been involved in council for a long time now that it just becomes a natural word but for someone that's outside that yes, council realm yeah. for you to say oh this this new word master plan yeah, right. it's interesting how much you can get in your own little bubble sometimes yes, so yes. All, what I do here is really encourage people in Wellington to download that master plan go and have a look at it yep. and just see what your thoughts are. And I'm sure there'll be some people who say, it's crazy, you need to put a lot more trees in. Other people say, get rid of those trees. I don't want those trees getting in the road of my cars. I don't mm. want them dripping things on my mm. car or whatever it might be. But that's the process is we get that information from people. We we want that information so that we can then make a good long-term decision. So have a look at that master plan. Now, I'm assuming this is now, I found this last week, it's on the website? On display, that's right. And that decision will come back probably around February, maybe even March. Okay. We'll have that out for a, a reasonable yeah. period of time so people can give some feedback Beautiful. on that. 
Now, continuing on here with Wellington, there's a new EV charger, or is it? Has it been installed there yet, or is it underway? Or uh, now, EV electrical vehicles. This is. Um, I know there's been a lot of discussion over this, and we've talked about this last week in regards to it. I know one of the big things that people still seem to have problems with is regards to there's not enough EV chargers around. Right. So there's one coming in Wellington. Is that? Is so it? we did talk about it. We've, we actually were successful in a couple of grants, and we've got one at the Wellington Caves and one at the Libraries. This is really just an update. Oh, okay. So there's go, already two out there, is there? Well, no, no. We, we put some grants in. We put right. some applications for some grants in. We put in applications for five different locations for okay. some EV chargers. Great. And we were successful in two of those, one at Wellington Library, one at the Wellington Cave. So Excellent. that's great news. But it was just an update, really, mm. that if people drive past the library now in Wellington, they will see an EV charger, they'll see the painting on the ground to show EVs, you'll see charges on the wall. As the time people are listening to this podcast, they're probably live or they they will be live very soon. Right. But I just thought it was a bit of an update for people oh, to know what's wonderful. going on there yeah, yeah. and very exciting to see that. And that'll be an important part. It's great to have every town, every community have at least a couple of EV charges in there because people will stop with their EVs. If they haven't got one there, they might tend to go through that place yep. and stop somewhere else to charge up. Yep. But when they stop there, they'll typically stop and go and have a coffee, yeah. maybe look at a few shops, just basically get involved in the community a little bit while they're doing that. Well, I think that's fantastic. So, uh, as you're saying, it looks like the EV chargers are coming to Wellington. Well done. Now, Matt, each week you write a weekly column. It's because you've got nothing else to do, obviously. You've got time in your hand to do a weekly column as well. You're a busy man. And one of the things that uh, you're talking about here this week is in regards to, I like the way this uh, comes across. I enjoyed your article this week. What people need as opposed to what people want. Um... (laughs) It's an interesting sort of thought, isn't it, that applies to so many things in life. Um, And again, being a school teacher, I confront this a fair bit. Um, So what's your take on this? And and what was the article about this week? It's interesting because I try and write my mayoral articles on big picture thinking. Mm. Sometimes I write them on something very specific that's happened in council this week or happening in council the next week, for example. But I tend to think it's better for me to look at things just one step back and look at the big picture. And there were a few things that happened over the last week that made me think of this. And so Mm. I sometimes try and write about things that might be relevant to people and and make them think a bit. And I'm more than happy when I write these articles for people to say, no, you're crazy. You've got no idea what you're talking about. Or that's Mm. a fantastic idea. I want it to actually make people think. I don't want a boring article that everyone says, oh, yes, that's obvious and harumph, harumph, and on they go. Mm-hmm. I'm quite happy for people to disagree with it. I want yep. people to think about it and make Create them think the about it. Create the conversation, as they say. That's right. And so you've hit the nail on the head. I have said in the past that being in government involves a fine line, a very fine line of delivering on what people want and what people need. Mm. And I did give the example, which some people took a bit too literally, where I, I thought about a kindergarten teacher. And if the kindergarten teacher came in and said every day, we're going to give you kids whatever you want for little lunch. So you vote on it. It's a democracy we live in. And everyone, you vote on that and that's what you'll eat. Now, you can imagine the kids, if they had a few options there, you know, apples, oranges, ice cream, lollies, chips, mm. whatever, mm. you'd probably think for little lunch they'd be having maybe chips and soft drink for a little lunch yes, every day. I, I'd put that, that money on sports bet pretty quickly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. That's what the kids want. But the teacher may have a little bit more knowledge than that. So they might be able to say, well, I think you need maybe – Sometimes those, but maybe apples and oranges and maybe some milk and maybe some water might be better options for you. So the teacher is trying to marry that up in terms of a democratic process in the classroom Mm. versus what they know the children might actually need. So that's kind of one very simplistic example that I looked at. But it's the same sort of thing. We actually know a lot more about a lot less now, if Mm. that makes sense. Mm. We've become more Mm. and more specialised. And Mm. you don't have to see that in the medical system now. It's such a process in the medical system. If you've got a little lump on your leg, Mm. you go and see a GP and then you get referred off to somewhere to have an ultrasound done or some sort of medical imaging done. And there's a radiographer that'll do that for you. And then there'll be some sort of specialist that'll look at that particular film and then they'll give advice to a specialist and you go and see a specialist and then they say, right, we've got to cut that out or it's okay to leave it alone. Mm. There, There are all these people. So the breadth of knowledge that people have is much narrower, but Mm. the depth of knowledge they have is much more focused. And Mm. I think that's absolutely okay. Mm. One of the things that we could do, which is part of the question that I asked in this article, one of the things we could do with our current technology is we could have every decision made by the people. So for example, at council, at state government, at federal government, any decision that came up, we just put it out to a, a referendum or a plebiscite and we say, we've got the technology, Friday afternoon at four o'clock, everyone votes on everything for this week. So we know in society that Friday, four o'clock, everyone gets to vote and they clade all those votes and then that's it. They've got 
the answer to whatever it might be. So should we put rates down by 20% or keep rates the same or put rates up by 5%? Everyone votes. Everyone mm. votes that rates go down. Mm. That's great. means you pay less rates. But then suddenly you can't get a garbage collection service anymore or you can't get those, those roads fixed Can't now. get those roads fixed now because mm. we've got less money. Mm. So it's that fine balancing act. Yep. And so one of the things that we do in society, in a democracy, is we elect people. And we say, Mark, I'm going to elect you. Now, I'm giving you the responsibility to read all the information, to absorb all the information, to understand what's going on. And once you've got all that information, mm. then I'm expecting you to make the best decision for the community. I mightn't understand it. I mightn't know why you made that decision, but I'm trusting you to go and make that decision because you've got all that background information. And so I think about it on council, for example, mm. and the same mm. applies to state government, federal government. You get briefings, you get workshops, you get information given to you, you have discussions with experts, you discuss it with your staff internally. You might go through a process that goes for hours, days, weeks, months. It might be a whole range of information. It might be a very small amount of information, but you've got that background information and you've got background data as well as the current data. And then it finally comes to the point for you to make a decision. I'm hoping that we've elected people that are smart enough and care about the community enough that mm. they can take all that information and make the best decision. Now, sometimes I might say, oh, Mark, that's a stupid decision you've made there. And I see the headline on the paper mm. or I see a little bit of the outcome and I've got my little tiny bit of knowledge about that, but it doesn't mean I fully understand the whole decision-making process that you arrived at that. Mm. One of the reasons I do this podcast is to try and inform the community better. Yes. And so the community gets more information, more of that this glimpse, is the reason like. why this decision was made. That's and here's right. a bit more background information for you. That's right. And I've, yeah. I've often said, I don't expect every resident to agree with every decision council makes. What I do hope, and maybe I'm dreaming, but what I do hope is that they don't have to agree with it, but they have to understand mm. it. And if that's what happens out of the, the whole process that we put in place with the various communications that I have in place and certainly councillors in place, then I think we've achieved our purpose. So I don't expect mm. everyone to agree. People are different. Things affect people differently. Absolutely. I understand all of that. But as long as they understand a bit of why or have the faith and confidence that there are people in there working for the best outcomes, and I think we've achieved something. Mm. So it's a, it's a discussion. It's, again, what people want, what people need. Does that mean mm. you don't listen to the community? No, that's an important part mm. of the consultation process. But ultimately, you've got to take all that information that you've got, including information from the public, yes. and then – ultimately you're the one sitting in the hot seat that's got to put your hand up one way or the other and hopefully we get it right more often than we get it wrong. I love your logic. Breaking news. Mark is already winging his way to Europe, but this bit of news was too important to leave until the next time that Mark and I speak. Listeners will recall that last week we discussed the fact that Australia Day in Dubbo and Wellington will have a few minor changes. One of those changes that we were working towards was to change the event timing from the morning of the 26th of January, when it's traditionally been done, to a twilight event on the 25th of January. We wanted to make that change for both Dubbo and Wellington. We did discuss the fact that as we went down that path, we had discussions with the Department of Home Affairs, who are the ones responsible for enforcing the Australian Citizenship Ceremonies Code. After several emails and several phone discussions, it was pointed out to us that the code, page 20 of that code, says that local government councils must hold a citizenship ceremony on 26 January as part of their Australia Day celebrations. Councils that conferred citizenship on less than 20 people in the previous year are exempt from this requirement. Dubbo has more than 20 conferees in a year. Wellington doesn't. We did argue the toss with the Department of Home Affairs, went back and forth for several months, but in the end, we were told we'd be breaching that code if we didn't have an Australia Day event with citizenship ceremony on the 26th of January in Dubbo, but in Wellington, we could make that change. So at the council meeting on Thursday, the 8th of December, council resolved to go ahead with those changes, and there's still some other changes that already discussed in the last podcast, I won't go over those in detail, but that meant that... Dubbo would have a ceremony on the 26th of January, on the morning of, as we are required to do by that code, and Wellington will have a twilight event because they're exempt from that code. As it turns out, the federal government obviously listened to what Dubbo Regional Council had to say. I must admit that there are several other councils around the nation that have either done in the past or have proposed to do something similar. At the last minute, 
and this is hot off the press. In fact, the Australian Citizenship Ceremonies Code has not changed yet, but an announcement came out from the federal government that, in fact, they were going to remove that requirement to have a citizenship ceremony on the 20th of January as part of the Australia Day celebrations. They've now given a six-day window. So three days before till three days after, you can hold your ceremonies. That means that in 2023, Monday 23rd of January through to Sunday 29th of January, any of those days are okay to hold a citizenship ceremony and to hold your Australia Day celebrations. Now, it's too late for Dubbo at this stage. We've already got our certificates for all the conferees that we'll have in January next year. We've got a council resolution to change that, we'd have to have a rescission motion put forward by three councillors, have to find time to have an extraordinary meeting, have to replan the event. So unfortunately for Dubbo in 2023, at least, there'll be no change to the timing of that ceremony. But what this means is from 2024, after our trial event in 2023, we'll go back out to our community, discuss it further with the community. And in 2024, we could hold the event the day before, the day after, it may well be proposed to be a twilight event again, but it's great to see that an innovative action from the Regional Council, a very progressive action in my opinion, is going to be reflected across the nation and most councils will still hold the event and in fact the Minister, the Honourable Andrew Giles MP, who's the Minister for Immigration, Citizenship and Multicultural Affairs, said that there is an expectation still that most ceremonies will be held on the 26th of January but at least it gives you the flexibility to change that. All right, Matt, we're uh, moving along now. Of course, it's that time of the week. We're going to head into the Limerick. Now, Matt, uh, as I said, this is um, my last podcast for for this year uh, before I head off overseas uh, to the freezing cold of London and Paris and all those wonderful places. Look, I don't downplayed them. Very, very excited, like a kid in a candy store right now. Can't wait to get on that plane. But uh, So, Matt, what have we got for us this week? Uh, being the last one, I'm sure it's going to be pretty special uh, for me this week before we step into the next few weeks or something a bit special in the podcast. You make me feel bad now, so it sounds like I should have written it about you. I was oh, actually no. leading towards Matt. But, <laughs> oh, it was all about uh, me, but anyway. I'm sorry. I, I did write it about Christmas and I wrote it about counsellors, but I, I didn't uh, include you in the story. Please, so. please don't feel guilty about that one. I, I look, you know, the Christmas present, I'll still give you, don't worry. Well, the first one back then, I'll just make oh, a mental note yeah, to make sure I write it about. To, to the European traveller. That's right, to, to our host <laughs> coming back, I'll, I'll write it about that. So this week I wrote it about our counsellors and what they got up to last Thursday night. And it goes something like this. Councillors enjoyed some Christmas cheer with some frisbee golf and a quiet beer. The form was somewhat shameless. The winners shall remain nameless. I doubt that disc golf will be our new career. <laughs> Uh, very timely and well done. Good idea, buddy. Mate, listen, uh, enjoy the next uh, five or six weeks. Have a great Christmas. Um, I look forward to uh, hearing your podcast over there in uh, London and uh, Wales and Paris. I just I'll keep saying that, don't I? I just keep rubbing it into you. But I do look forward to listening to it over the next few weeks. Merry Christmas to you and yours. And to all the listeners out there as well, Merry Christmas as well. Have a safe and joyous new year. And until next year, everybody, see you then. Well, Merrill. Meryl Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.